Hi everybody, I'm Meredith Baker for On The Map, Off The Radar, and today we have an exciting environmental episode with Andrew Abraham, who just finished his Master's in Environmental Studies at Oxford. He's going to talk to us about how animal movement can affect nutrient cycles around the globe, and how we as humans play a role in that in unexpected ways. Riveting. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. It's and pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. But can you go ahead and talk about how animal movement affects nutrient cycles? Absolutely. So animals, and particular, particularly herbivores, uh, by eating organic matter, which contains nutrients, all the nutrients directly themselves, and then through their movement, and then via the processes of either excretion from their urine or their feces, or when they die, um, they move these nutrients from one point to another. And, um, Individually, these nutrient movements may be small, but if you consider over a continental scale or over a hundred year time period, these processes may actually be very important. And you're saying this has never been looked at before in environmental models, is that correct? Absolutely. So there, there have been studies that have looked at these processes, however, they have not been modelled at that sort of scale before. So we know that the process is happening and the work that I'm part of is trying to assess or quantify how big a process this is. So when you were starting off in this research, how did it happen? You were looking at other environmental models and you noticed this kind of missing factor um, that hadn't been discussed about or factored into... Yeah, sort of. So, so the model that I'm working on is a very new model. It's called the Maddingly model and it works, it's, it's a bottom-up process-based model. Uh, so previously um, ecosystem models have always been top-down and they've tried to sort of impose the con sort of constrain the model based on certain parameters that you attribute to certain animals. However what we're trying to do here is to represent ecological processes, so sort of the most basic ecological processes that occur, um, things like reproduction, mortality, um, <coughs> we represent different sorts of animals, so we represent herbivores and carnivores and omnivores, the different ways that they reproduce and through, these, through the interactions of these different sorts of animals, we're able to um, build up a, sort of, it, it, a pattern emerges over time uh, that you're able to assess and you can compare that to the real world um, to look and see, to see what sorts of processes and how these processes are important. And as, as humans, <laughs> which are also animals, um, how do we play a role in these animal movements and how is that detrimental to the environment. So, so, of the animals that move nutrients, the particularly important ones are megafauna or large animals um, because they tend to have a much longer gut residence times and they tend to eat more. Um, so therefore, because if you imagine, say for example, an elephant versus a mouse, a mouse will tend to always return to the same place, it tends not to eat very much, uh, it tends to defecate only within a small area or urinate only within a small area. So it's the movement of nutrients is relatively small. However, if you consider an elephant, uh, which may eat perhaps up to 300 kilograms of organic matter a day and may walk tens, twenties of kilometers, um, their movement of nutrients is disproportionately large. And the reason I'm saying that is because over the last 130,000 years, humans through um, hunting and through changes of habitat have particularly targeted large animals and made those go extinct um, and particularly if you look at the Americas both North and South America have lost a number of their or pretty much all of their large animals um, that, that this, for, for which this process is very important um, and then if you combine that with uh, the fact that humans have built a lot of fences around the world 
the animals which do remain are actually very much constrained with the areas with which they're able to go. Um, so that sort of the human role of both changing the abundance of large animals and changing where these large animals can go, we think may actually have a very important effect across the world. And then this type of information that your model could provide then would be very important or helpful for um, organizations um, fighting to protect endangered species. Yeah, so, so, so what, what, what it would really do um, for conservation groups and for governments is it would be another sort of string in the bow um, to suggest that these animals provide a number of different services, or ecosystem services as they're called. Um, you know, people like to know that there is a polar bear in the Arctic. Um, People know that, you know, whether they provide meat or whatever, whatever it is that these, that these animals provide. And this is another service that they will provide. And it will just give another little bit, another sort of bit more weight to the reasoning as to why it is really important that we protect these animals. Because through the movements of nutrients, and when we say nutrients, it may be uh, nitrogen or phosphorus or sodium or any of the very important nutrients to animals and to humans, um, and we're all reaping the rewards of those movements. Right. Um, so, yeah. so um, as you briefly mentioned sodium, um, in your research you mentioned that there is this dichotomy between, um, in terms of nutrient movement, um, animals needing sodium and then sodium being detrimental to plants and how these yeah. are interlinked yeah. in this model. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so, so what we really see, see in the world um, is that on, on, a sort of, on a sort of continental scale, uh, most, most sodium into ecosystems comes from, from the oceans. Um, and sodium is incredibly important to all animals. No animal can live without sodium, um, just through the metabolic processes that uses it to keep itself alive. Whereas conversely, plants find sodium toxic. There's a few um, hylophytic plants that are able to cope in saline environments, but for the most part, plants find it um, highly toxic and can't grow in very uh, salty conditions. So what we're seeing here is regions with very high salt concentration at the coast, very low salt concentration uh, in the continental interiors. And the work that we're trying to suggest on this ecosystem service is the role that animals will play in flattening this gradient um, by eating um, high-sodium high, high uh, organic matter at the coast and then through random dispersal and then through the processes that I mentioned before in terms of urination, defecation and dying, they will move, they will tend to flatten over time this gradient, um, which, we've, which a number of studies have shown uh, that has important consequences both for um, animal and ecosystem composition mm -hmm. and also for changing global biogeochemical cycles. And as soon as you're talking about um, impacting global geochemical cycles, uh, you're talking about real potential large changes to the atmosphere and to climate. So it's kind of like a butterfly effect, something yeah. that you think might have just such a small impact on the environment is actually yeah. kind of... Within, within the Earth system there are many different feedbacks and a change in one area, say for example, so with the sodium uh, it tends to change the decomposition rate. Uh, so if you have a great, if you add sodium, often these continental interiors are sodium deficient. So when you add sodium to those places, the small little invertebrates that are the primary decomposers in those areas greatly increase in number and by increasing in number they break down organic matter and release carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. Uh, so what we're seeing at the moment is potential large stores of carbon in the, in the, in, held in plant matter that's, de that's not being decomposed in continental interiors and maybe previously before, you know, 
100,000 years ago, when, when large animals were abundant, that process was maybe happening a little bit faster. And that's very important to the whole, the whole Earth system. Wow. Well, who knew? Um, and can you talk now about, um, I know you're moving to Arizona to continue your research yeah, and what the next step, steps will be in the model and kind of using it in... For sure. So, um, so I'm moving to Arizona to work with um, Professor Chris Doughty. Um, and particularly we're moving, we're going we're gonna to hope, so the work that we were doing in Oxford was quite constrained by the size of the computers that we were working on. Um, whereas out in Arizona we're going to be working with a much larger computer that will have the capacity to run many more of these mathematical calculations over a shorter period of time. So we'll be able to represent the world in a slightly more complex way. Uh, so for example, Simply, simply to allow the model to be able to run, I had to negate the, the importance of predation um, in the model runs that we've done previously. Uh, so hopefully we're going to be able to increase the complexity of the model that we're running. And also, as with all of these things, the strength of the model is only as to how good it can represent the real world. Um, and even then, it only gives a direction of the sorts of processes and the importance of things that it might be. Um, so there's also going to be hopefully another field campaign uh, out to Africa to collect a much more substantial data set than we have already to try and look to see the importance of which these, these large animals play in moving nutrients like sodium around the planet. That's so interesting and it's awesome that you're kind of the first uh, group doing this important work on something that has been previously left out of kind of calculations and changes to the environment. Absolutely, and that's what we're trying to find at the moment, is we know the process happens. We can see, you can take measurements and you can see that within animal feces and animal urine, there is high concentrations of, of urine, and of uh, nutrients, sorry. And what we're now trying to do is upscale these very small processes to see how important they are at the global scale. And, um, we're making strides towards that and hopefully in the next 12 months or so we should be able to say with a, with a little bit more certainty as to the sort of the importance that these biotic processes actually have uh, within the earth system. Wow, well thank you so much Andrew and My thanks pleasure. everybody for watching. I'll be sure to link to Andrew's research if you'd like to learn more about um, megafauna being mega fun and all other environmental exciting things. Um, thanks so much for watching. Meredith Baker on the map, on the radar.